But why do we need a true and better Moses? I mean, what's wrong with the original? I mean, after watching the Super Bowl, that's like saying Seattle needs a true and better defense. I mean, I pulled for Denver because of Peyton Manning, but he didn't have a chance all Sunday night. Why do we need a true and better Moses? In the Bible, this guy is a rock star. This guy is in rare air and elite status. God gave us his law through Moses. He was a great leader whom God called through a burning bush to lead the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. Our first scripture from Exodus 3, 1 to 15. You may follow along in your Bible or along the wall. Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. What's often overlooked in Scripture is that Moses prepared behind the scenes for a long, long time before God called him through this burning bush. In the Bible, the number 40 appears a number of times. And whenever you see the number 40 in the Bible, think supersized test or think a long, slow preparation. Because that's what 40 means. A long test, a long season of preparation. 
And we see this in Moses' life. For the first 40 years of his life, he lived in the Egyptian palace. He lived among the Egyptians. And then when he was age 40, he left and he went to be a shepherd for his father-in-law's flock. And he did this for 40 years. He toiled in obscurity for 40 years. But think about all this preparation as a shepherd enabled him to lead the people of Israel from Egypt through the wilderness towards the promised land. So Moses is 80 years old when God calls him through a burning bush for this great mission. And for the last 40 years of his life, Moses led the people through the wilderness towards the promised land of Canaan. So Moses has three blocks of 40 years in his life. So Moses is 80 years old when God tells him to go to Egypt, to go to the Pharaoh and say, God said, let my people go. And then ten plagues followed because, Moses, uh, because Pharaoh was stubborn. Finally, the, the tenth plague climaxed with the angel of death passing over the Israelites' home, the Passover. Moses uh, leads the people out of Egypt across the Red Sea they escape finally, and then the next 40 years, he leads them through the wilderness. And along the way, on this 40-year journey, Moses comes down from the mountain, comes down from Mount Sinai holding two stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments. So let me ask you again, why do we need a true and better Moses? I mean, a great leader. The law comes through him. He's the one that, that brings us from God, brings to us the Ten Commandments. He's the one that gets the people, the nation of Israel, from Egypt to the Promised Land. I mean, if anybody in Scripture deserves VIP platinum status, it's him. And I'm going to prove it to you. Our second Scripture comes from Exodus 24, 12 to 18. Exodus 24, beginning in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So how many days was he on the mountain? 40. An extended season of preparation. This was too valuable for Moses to come up. Here you go. Have a nice day. No, 40 days he was up on the mountain. Have you ever spent 40 days on a mountain with Almighty God inside of a cloud, just you and God? Uh-uh. And neither have I. 
And your saintly grandmother, the one that in church never opened a hymnal because she knew all the words to all the hymns by heart, she never did that either. And you know who else never spent 40 days on a mountain in a cloud with God? Billy Graham, Joyce Meyer, Charles Stanley, or Beth Moore. They didn't do it either. But Moses did. Moses is a rock star. I mean, he is elite in the kingdom of God. So why do we need a true and better Moses? Because he was not perfect. Because Moses was like the rest of us, a sinner in need of God's grace. Do you know why Moses left Egypt at the age of 40? To go be a shepherd for his father-in-law? Because he killed a man. He saw an Egyptian mistreating a fellow Israelite. And he got mad and he, he killed the guy. Moses committed a homicide and then he took off so he wouldn't get caught and brought to prosecution. Forty years go by, and now God calls this prince turned murderer turned shepherd. Now he's 80 years old, and God calls to him and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And if you read on through Exodus, after God talks to him, Moses says, um, uh, God, uh, you, you made a mistake. I don't do public speaking, God. You called the wrong number. You got the wrong guy. And there was back and forth and back and forth. And finally God said, okay, Moses, I'll let your brother Aaron be the spokesman for the group, but you still lead the people out. And then when along the way, when they're through the wilderness, Moses did something very bad in the eyes of God. And Moses, after all that trouble, never set foot in the promised land. He got to see it from atop Mount Nebo, but he never actually got to set one foot in the promised land after all of that. Because along the way, uh, Moses got very upset with the people grumbling and one day he, he got mad, they, they were thirsty, and he said, shall we bring water from this rock? He took his staff, he smacked it against the rock, and water came out. Well, you've heard that saying, uh, there's no I in we. Well, God said, Moses, there's no we in I. God said, Moses, I bring the water from the rock. There's no we to this. But Moses said we. He was infringing on God's glory. And for that act of disobedience, Moses did not get to, to set foot in the promised land. Now considering his life as a whole, Moses is outstanding. But he wasn't perfect. My seventh grade history teacher, Mr. Harris... He gave extra credit questions on our tests. 
but he had this strange rule. He said, if you miss even one question, then no matter how many bonus points you get for extra credit, the highest grade you can make on your test is a 99. So if you miss one four-point question and you get 10 bonus points, you don't make 106, you stop at 99. Why is that? He said, because 100 represents perfection. And a perfect paper is just that, perfect. Not one red mark, not one minus mark. And so, I will not give you a grade that represents perfection if at any point on your paper it's imperfect. And so, the most we could make was a 99. You may think Mr. Harris was a very harsh grader. But think about it. Heaven is a perfect place. And if there was just one blemish, just one fault, just one sin, one little white lie, one little anything wrong, then it would no longer be perfect, now would it? It would be pretty good, but it wouldn't be perfect. Because perfection is just that. Perfect. Over the years, uh, I've been surprised and, and downright shocked by the number of people I've met along the way who have been in church all their life. And yet they still operate under the system under the mindset that salvation is merit-based. I remember this, this one elderly man, and I asked him about his assurance of salvation. I say, you know, are you going to heaven? And I was wanting to give him a chance to, to brag on Jesus. And instead, he dropped his head, and in a quiet voice, he said, I hope I'm going to heaven I hope I've done enough to get in. I've heard others say that they have the assurance of salvation because, and I quote, well, I'm basically a good person. And I've done more good than bad in my life. If that's your eternal life insurance policy, then it's as worthless as this $1 bill. See this $1 bill? Now, if I was to go to the store and put a pack of gum on the counter and lay this $1 bill on it and say, give me the gum and my change, what do you think they'd do? They'd laugh at me. They'd, and then they'd say, fool, get out of the store. But yet, it's not a laughing matter when people are exposed to the gospel for years and they think this is their eternal life insurance policy. I am good enough. This is what they're planning to hand to God to get in the pearly gates. They may as well hand them this because they're both worth the same. Nothing. 
based on his efforts, the very best that Moses could make on the great test of life was a 99. And remember, Moses spent 40 days on a mountaintop having a private audience with God, something you and I have never done. And even he couldn't make a hundred on the great test of life. And so if Moses couldn't make a hundred on the test of life, then there's no way I can. And there's no way you can either. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To spend eternity with God in heaven and not apart from Him in hell, we need a hundred. Because heaven is a perfect place and that means perfection in every way as a result thank God that he sent his son Jesus to us to be the true and better Moses because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law that came down through Moses Jesus fulfilled the law with his sinless life Jesus is the only human who ever made and ever will make a hundred on the test of life. All of his words, all of his deeds, all of his thoughts, 100% holy. Think about that. 24-7, 365 for 33 years, never did anything wrong, always did everything right. Let's not miss that. It's not just that he avoided doing bad things, he also always did the right things. You know, it's not just that when Jesus was a boy, you know, he he refrained from throwing rocks at passing Roman chariots. He also honored his father and his mother. It's not just that when he was a teenager, he refrained from having lustful thoughts when he looked at a pretty girl. He also always honored the Sabbath and kept it holy. It's not just that that, uh, Jesus never gossiped. It's also that when there was sin that needed to be confronted, he didn't bite a hole in his tongue and say, well, I don't want to make waves because if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. What, are we five years old still? Sometimes you got to say man up and speak up and speak out like the money changers in the temple. And And he manned up. He spoke the truth in love, but he spoke the truth. He never did anything wrong. He always did what was right. And so we're going to look at Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So, if you are a note taker on the back of the bulletin, question one. Moses led the people from bondage under the Pharaoh to the promised land. Jesus led the people from bondage under the devil to the salvation promised to all believers. 
So Moses led the people to the promised land. Jesus led the people to the salvation promised. All believers. Promised land, salvation promised. Then the second question. Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses was simply part of the house. So Moses was just part of the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. Big difference. Builder versus part. The third question, the builder of all things is God, means that Jesus is equal to God as the true and better Moses. They're on the same level. They're equal to God. Jesus is equal to the Father, equal to God. The fourth question, Moses was a faithful servant. Christ is the faithful son. Moses was in God's house. Christ is over God's house. So Moses was a servant, but Jesus is the son. Moses was in God's house, but Christ is over God's house. Servant versus son in verses over. And then the fifth question. God's house is made up of God's people. And true people of God persevere in their faith. God's house is made up of God's people. And true people of God persevere in their faith. We hold on. We persevere. And our final text comes from Hebrews 8, 1 to 13. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you have made everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So the tabernacle that Moses erected was an imperfect and impermanent copy of the perfect and permanent heavenly one. So the one, the Jesus tabernacle is perfect and it's permanent. 
In Moses' earthly tabernacle, the high priest entered the most holy place. Uh, You may also know this as the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, went with the blood of atonement once a year. But Jesus, our great high priest, dwells eternally as our intercessor. So it's not just once a year. Eternally, Jesus is our intercessor. And the new covenant with Jesus supersedes the old covenant with Moses. God's laws will become inner principles that enable us to delight in doing His will. So we'll know them on the inside. God and His people will have intimate fellowship. We'll have fellowship with God. Sinful ignorance of God will be removed forever. We won't say, well, I I didn't know that. We will know it. Because God will put it within us. So ignorance of God will be removed. And forgiveness of sins will be an everlasting reality. So I will wipe away your sins. Remember them no more. Jesus is our great high priest. He is our mediator. He is our intercessor. And Jesus offers to go before the Father. And represent the Father to us. And represent us to the Father And Jesus offers to say, Father, here is my perfect test paper and I will let it count for David, for you. That's what an intercessor does. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be in Asheville, North Carolina at a writer's conference. For the past year and a half, uh, I've been working on a book, and while I'm at this writer's conference, I'm going to be meeting with an agent. I have an appointment with an agent. An agent represents a writer to a publisher, tries to help get that writer's work published, and then if a contract is offered, then that agent will will mediate the contract and, and help mediate between the publisher and the writer. Handle all the the business details. Make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. So mediates the writer to the publisher and the publisher to the writer. But in Jesus, I'm already represented by the greatest agent in the universe. Jesus stands to represent us to His Father and represents His Father to you and me. In this same Lord that came to Moses and said, I've called you to this big task. He comes to us and he calls us. And sometimes we think, God, surely you've made a mistake. You, what do you mean me? I can't do that. That's one, of the, that's one of the times when I'm pretty clear it is God speaking because when God calls, He calls us to do something that there is no way we're going to do it on our own. If we have to have His help to do it, that's a pretty clear sign that it's from Him because He likes to show up and get the glory to say, look at what I did through my imperfect people. I mean, look what He did through Moses. Look at what he wants to do through us. 
At any given time, there are going to be those of us who are in the midst of a 40-day story, a 40-year story. At any given time, there are going to be those of us that don't know what the next step is. You're in that season of preparation. You're in that season of waiting. And not only do you not know what the next step is, you don't even know when you'll know what the next step is. You just got to sit tight and wait. And that's hard. That's very hard. But while we're sitting tight and waiting, God is up ahead preparing our next assignment for us and preparing us for our next assignment. But at any given time, there are others of us. God says, okay, the 40 days is up. The 40 years are over. It's time. And like Moses, God comes to us and says, I've called you to this particular job. I got your back. I got your front. And I got your side. I want you to go and do this. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? In the name of the true and better Moses, amen.